Welcome to the Cashflow Guys Podcast. That's right, boys and girls. You know what time it is and you know where you are. This is Tyler Sheff and, well, I am the host of the Cashflow Guys Podcast. And this week, guys, I'm going to try to keep it short. I always say that, but I always go long, right? But seriously, a couple things I'm seeing a lot of folks doing right now. We got a lot of rehabs going on in the marketplace, at least in the markets that I'm paying attention to. A lot of weird stuff happening. So I thought I would bring a couple things to your attention just to kind of help you guys that maybe you're doing rehabs, maybe you're turning properties over after tenants are leaving or things like that. And these are just a few things that are going to help you avoid a renovation disaster. I've talked to a couple of folks that are having a real tough time with renovations and their contractors lately. And I thought, well, let me make a, a, a list of the top things that a lot of you might not know, if you're, especially if you're new or maybe you're a recent landlord and you've only bought a couple of rentals, you haven't had rentals for a long time. And these are some easy to make mistakes, mistakes that I've probably made myself more than once. Takes me a while, right? I'm not so swift, but I want to run through these with you. Hopefully it'll keep you out of hot water, make things a little better, make the situation um, more pleasurable if it can be. First off, anytime you're going to do work on a property, make sure you use a licensed contractor if such a job requires one. And what I mean by that is electricians, roofers, painters, now, a lot of times you got somebody who does cabinet work and stuff like that. They don't have a license for cabinet work. Drywallers in some municipalities have to be licensed, okay? And if you're going to get into heavy construction, let's say you got a property that's a two-bedroom and you want to make it a three, well, I would probably go ahead and get a general contractor in there to handle that and pull the permits. Here's why. And the permits are, this is very important, guys, very, very important. When you don't pull permits on jobs that require a permit, okay, and jobs that require a permit are things of safety, okay, electrical things, plumbing things, things like that. Uh, those things require a permit. Things that are that consider the structural integrity of the property, roofing, foundation, a lot of that stuff requires permits. And this is going to vary based on where you're located in the world, your municipalities and whatnot. But when in doubt, ask the question. You can call up anonymously to your local building department and say, I was wondering, I was my property is located in such and such a city. Don't give them the address. And say, hey, I was thinking of converting a one bedroom into two bedrooms by putting a wall down the middle. Do I have to have a permit for that? And they're going to tell you yes, no, or maybe so. At least they should, hopefully. And if you don't know, then ask the contractor, right? You get a contractor to go out there, do a bid and ask them, you know, you're going to pull a permit for this or how's that work? And this is a great test, by the way, for contractors. Great test because you might get a varying degree of answers. For example, one contractor may say, oh, no, we try to avoid pulling permits anytime we can. That is a huge red flag. When that, when they say that, that's the polite way of saying, hi, I'm about to cut corners and I'm going to keep the construction police out of this property so that I can do a half-assed job under the guise that I'm going to save you money, which really means you're going to hire someone else to come back and do the work a second time the correct way. So you're not going to save money, boys and girls, by not using licensed contractors. And I know lots of you guys are out there experienced and you're tongue in cheek and you're chuckling right now going, shit, if I didn't use a per, if I didn't, if I use licensed contractors, I didn't be able to flip anything. Well, if you've got a great relationship with somebody, you know their work or you're doing the work yourself, I'll leave it up to you whether or not to get a permit. But I'm here to tell you, the people that cut corners, that avoid these things like permits and, and using licensed contractors, eventually it's going to come back to bite you in the, in the short pants. And we get a lot of weird stuff going on in the marketplace right now, so keep that in mind. Let's not add more drama to the situation, shall we? Anytime we can avoid the drama, why don't we? So those of you out there, this is those of you out there that haven't done a whole bunch of construction product projects, you don't have a ton of experience, you absolutely should be requiring the contractors to pull permits. Here's another thing about permits. Sometimes the contractors will have you pull the permit, what they call a homeowner's permit. Well, 
The question I would want to know is, why does the contractor want you to pull a permit? Why don't they pull the permit under their license? And there's one answer for that. It's called accountability. You see, because if the contractor pulls the permit under their license, they're accountable to that job, which means that the local municipality will hold their license hostage, essentially, if they don't do a good job. They can be sanctioned by the local construction boards. So it's a great tool to keep them accountable. And there are contractors out there, unfortunately, that have to be held accountable because they just do crappy work. Again, this is another tool to help you stay out of trouble. It's going to help keep everything on the up and up. The last thing you want is for a building inspector to go be bopping through the property or swing by the property when they see hammer swinging and they don't see a permit box outside and they see walls opened up and electrical being messed with and plumbing being messed with and water heaters leaving a, a, an old water heater out in the driveway by the curb. That is a red flag saying, hey, building inspector, I just did a how replaced a water heater without a permit. I know people, friends of mine, that have gotten busted doing that. And it wound up being a pretty healthy fine. It was like $1,000 fine for not pulling, pulling a permit. And then they have to do what they call a permit after the fact, which basically you're going to the city, county, or wherever village or whatever municipality you're dealing with it as a building department. You're saying, hey, um, I didn't play by the rules the first time. Now I want to do a permit after the fact. How do you think they're going to look at that? How do you think they're going to treat you when they go in and inspect the property? They're not going to be excited about it, right? You Because they know you tried to skirt the system and you got caught. And now you're trying to suddenly make it right. Well, that will be a painful process. This I can assure you. So to avoid all this, pull the permit up front if it's required. And again, the way to find out if it's required is to simply call the building department in your area. You don't have to give them your address. Again, you don't have to give them your address. Tell them what you plan on doing and ask them if it needs to be permitted or not. And you're probably going to get a lot of it depends. So let's talk about the major things you're going to do. Like I'm going to put a, a wall up between two bedrooms. Do I need a permit or not? They may say no. And if they don't, great. How about hanging drywall? How about adding a, a light a switch plate or a, a receptacle to plug into? Does that type of work require a permit in blank town? They're going to say yes, no, or maybe so. So all this information, guys, is at your fingertips, but you got to pick up the phone and call these regulatory bodies. They're not going to belabor you and beat you up for your uh, address so they can come over and get in your business. But nosy neighbors, maybe the neighbor wanted to buy that house and flip it themselves. Maybe the realtor that didn't get the listing and is a, got a little bit of a scarcity mindset might call and rat you out. You got to be careful, guys, because people today are acting kind of weird. And don't be surprised if you get tattled on. It's happened to me. I had Project Red Flagged. It was a nightmare. Actually, I've had more than one Project Red Flag. It takes me a while to learn things sometimes, right? So think about that. Anytime someone wants you to avoid doing things the right way, you should definitely question that. It is a red flag. It's not a money-making opportunity or money-saving opportunity, I should say. It's definitely not a money-saving opportunity. When you're having somebody, if you're a remote landlord, let's say you you're own a property in one market and live in a different market. And let's say you're having somebody do this for you remotely. Maybe you're hiring a handyman or a contractor, whoever, to go in and do stuff. If I were you, I would have a person, whether it be a property manager or somebody, boots on the ground, that can go check on these people. Don't give them carte blanche on things like colors. And if you're like me, I don't know what looks good, doesn't look good a lot of times. That's what Jill does. She's good at that stuff. She makes things pretty. I make them make money. She makes them pretty. So, But what I do know is you don't want to paint the entire house. And this just happened with one I'm, I'm helping a client with right now. The handyman that's doing the work painted the whole house robin's egg blue inside. I mean everything. Closets, bathroom tile. It's all blue. I mean, it's really obnoxious. Robin's egg blue. It's, it's unbelievable. And this gentleman thinks that's a great color for him. But guess what? He doesn't have to live there. So the problem is the seller wants to sell the house, which is why the work's being done. Well, 
if your entire house and the inside is blue, that's only going to appeal to a certain number of people. Everybody else is going to hate it. So when they walk in the door, the first thing they're going to think about is it doesn't match my couch, my furniture. I want to put carpet down. You know, it looks like this, this whole inside of this house is like blue jeans. I don't like it. This isn't going to work. I'm going to have to paint this place. That's going to cost me blank. I assure you, the buyers that walk in the house are going to come up with a figure that's significantly higher than what it'll actually cost to correct the problem. And the darker or wilder the color is, the worse it's going to be. The buyer's agents, the realtors will start going crazy, going, oh my gosh, you know, you're going to have to prime that whole thing. And the painters, they charge a lot more and you got to prime it. And you got to use a real good quality primer. So it's probably going to cost $20,000 to paint the inside of this house when it's not going to cost $20,000 to paint the inside of the house. It might cost $5,000 to paint the inside of the house with primer. Again, when you're doing hiring a painter, hire a licensed painter. Make sure they have a license. Make sure they've got good Google reviews or they have reviews. You know, get somebody that's been referred to you by somebody that's actually used them to do painting. In the case I'm talking about here with the Blue House, this old dude, he just went crazy with an airless. I mean, he sprayed everything. Everything wasn't tied down. Chose his own colors. That's a problem. But the good news is we can fix it. But, you know, the seller's going to have to spend some money to get it so we can get this thing sold. If you're doing things in a different market, as I had said a minute ago, you know, who can be a project manager? Well, your property manager can be a project manager for one. I would prefer that person that's going to be managing things for you from afar, or at least babysitting the people that are there, has some sort of renovation experience. Maybe they've been through a couple of renovations themselves. I would caution you to put somebody that doesn't know anything about what the expectation should be in there to be babysitting for you because they may not, they may have good, good, uh, do things in good faith, but they're not, they don't really have the experience to kind of be your middle person, right? So find somebody. There are project managers for construction out there as a job. There are people that do that for a living that will go and inspect things. Maybe some for some of you, maybe your realtor will do it. They're probably going to charge an extra fee for that. If it was me, it would be expensive because that's not something I would want to do. And um, that's a very challenging project. Keep in mind, there's maybe people in your family, maybe people, people nearby might go by and take a look at things. Now, in some municipalities, and this is a little fly in the ointment, in some municipalities, if you pay somebody to oversee a construction job, they may look at look at that function as acting like a licensed contractor. So you got to be a little careful and make sure that's legit in your market. Because in some markets, I know that's a thing. So you may want to ask. It's like, look, I want someone to babysit this project, keep an eye on the contractor, so to speak, and I'm going to pay them for the for the thing. That's why I like to use the term project manager. Because if they're hiring subcontractors and whatnot, that can get a little sticky. Like in Florida, it comes up to a certain amount of money for a job, whether or not an agent, a real estate agent, can do that type of work and receive compensation. There's a dollar figure that caps it. And over that, they be, they're considered being acting in the capacity of a contractor, and they're not. So most agents won't do that. I'm not a big fan of, of doing that type of work myself. It just doesn't work. It's not worth it. big thing that people do a lot is they, they prepay. And I know this contractors that have heard me say this in the past in the podcast get mad. I don't care if you get mad. If you can avoid it at all costs, it, the worst thing you could absolutely do is ever pay a contractor in advance. If you're dealing with some rinky-dink fly-by-night contractor that doesn't have two nickels to rub together, maybe you should reconsider hiring them in the first place if they can't go out and buy the lumber and drywall or wire or whatever it is they need. A lot of them will say, well, I need to pay my guys this week. Really? What did you do last week? Didn't you do any work last week to pay your guys this week? If my job hasn't been finished this week, you're not going to get paid to do it until the job is done. Or at least make some sort of an agreement with them that says when you get to certain stages of the job, that these things, and we consider these steps done, like, for example, when the counter counters are, are put in, 
the cabinets and the countertops are installed and the plumbing in the kitchen and electrical is complete and I can walk into my kitchen and make a cup of coffee, you'll get paid for the kitchen. And then when I'm able to take a shower and brush my teeth in the sink without stepping on dust and crap because the bathroom's done, then we'll go ahead and do that. And when I'm safe to bring my furniture in here in the master bedroom, I'll give you a draw for the work done in the master bedroom. But don't get in the habit, guys, of getting caught paying these people. I shouldn't say getting caught, but letting yourself get caught short by paying these people in advance of them finishing the job. Don't let them talk you into that. Under any circumstances, don't let them talk you into that. Okay? Just please don't do it. The other thing is when it comes to rehab, the big mistake I see a lot of people make is they'll spend all kinds of money trying to make a house pretty, but it has an old roof. If you're buying a house to flip it or you've got a rental and you're getting ready to sell it, the number one thing that will disqualify the property from the ability to be sold or make it extremely difficult to be sold is the age of the roof. Okay, If that, you go up and look at the permit history and see when the last time the roof was replaced. Now, the, root, the lifespan on roofs is considerably shorter in the south than it is in the north. Okay, That said, in the north, there's a lot of things going on, like there's, there's snow sitting on top of the roof for half the year. That tends to stress a roof. So when you buy the property, acquire the property, one of the things that you need to know that's the most important thing you need to know is how old is the roof? How old is the electrical? How many amps is the panel? These are things that are important. If you've got a property that's got a 100-amp panel in the garage and you want to put a swimming pool in, that means you're going to have to upgrade that panel to get a lot more electricity out there to handle those pool pumps. Okay. If you're going to, you're planning on buying a house and flipping it and you go put all nice pretty cabinets in and nice pretty hardwood floors and the whole nine yards, but the roof is 30 years old, I got news for you. When you go to sell the property, the buyer is going to be required by the lender and the insurance company for a new roof to be put on. The insurance company is going to require it to insure it and the lender won't write a mortgage on the property unless there's insurance. So you're caught between a rock and a hard place, which means you're going to be forced to put a roof on before you can close, or at least within a short period of time after the closing. We've done them 30, 45, 60 days, depending. However, what they will do is they will exclude coverage in the event that there's a claim that's tied to the roof. So let's say you get the whole house prettied up and looking all nice and spiffy. And here's the other thing that happens. You do all that, and then you need the roof issue. You get under contract, everything's great. Now you find out you got to drop another $15,000 on a roof or twenty dollars or $30,000 on a roof, whatever it may be. Bottom line is, get the roof done. Here's the flip side. You get it all pretty and nice, and then the roof starts to leak. Next thing you know, your hardwood floors are all buckled. Your drywall is ruined. Your ceilings need to be torn out because they got wet, and you have a wet, nasty mess on your hands on a nice, pretty house that you now have to re-gut all over again because you didn't do the most important thing, and that's make sure you get a good roof. So, guys, I hope this information helps you. I hope that... This gives you a couple of things to think about before you either maybe sell a rental that you've got now because the market's hot. I mean, hell, if I had single-family homes right now as rentals, I would sell every damn one of them. Why not? You're never going to see property values like this again, guys, not in this lifetime. You might as well go ahead and sell them now while the getting's good. So I know a lot of folks talk to me that they're dumping their, their single-family rentals. Maybe they're dumping their small multifamilies. If you're dumping your small multifamilies, give Uncle Tyler a call. I'll buy those. Um, but just a couple things to keep you out of hot water, make things go a little smoother and get you prepared to come out of this COVID thing with big fat piles of money in your pocket. That's what we want to see guys. Have a great week. This concludes today's episode. You don't have to wait till the next episode to learn to earn. Head over to cashflowguys.com and contact Tyler and his team for more powerful tips and ideas. So you can start generating multiple streams of income and escape the rat race.